Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise the Lord. There's times, there's times when, uh, no, it's pretty much every time. Every time I'm given the privilege or the opportunity, I I feel privileged and honored to be able to minister in the word. and, And it's really an interesting thing, for me anyways, I feel so many times that every sermon that God lays on my heart is my best sermon. And interestingly enough, depending upon how the service goes, sometimes those best sermons ever don't feel like they were the best sermon ever when you're done. There's many times as a vessel trying to be a conduit for God to flow through that we feel as men of God doing our best to minister in the word, looking through that glass darkly, there's times when we feel like we really, and I'm speaking of me, but I know we all feel the same way. There's times when we feel like we missed the mark, and perhaps because of our, our uh, flaws that we all have, you know, the, the, the spirit's perfect, the word is perfect, but flowing through this flawed vessel, so many times it does feel like... Uh, you missed the mark a little bit. And most of the time, that best sermon I was ever given, I leave the pulpit just hoping I'll get to speak it again and do a better job. And that's just me, and I'm just being honest with you. And, and there's times when there's those special sermons. And when the word just jumps out at you in a way that's above and beyond your understanding and it's not something you heard years past at a conference or something of that nature. And I'll just be honest with you, I really felt like my last sermon that I spoke on a Wednesday night, I have not been able to get it off my heart. I've tried and I've just not been able to get it off my mind. And I am still just blown away by the word of God. And, and, and so I'm not going to preach it again. Um, most of you probably wouldn't like that. You've heard it once already. But I'm going to extend from that. And so I'm going to try and only take maybe five minutes, <laughs> help me Jesus, and do a quick recap. Is that okay? Even if it's just for me. And I hope I'm not out of order but, oh, I just believe what the Word of God says. I believe what the Word tells us in, in Corinthians chapter 10, that these things happen for our example. And so if it's written and recorded for our example, we would do well to uh, be aware and to know. And, and, and I'd hate to just leave the Word of God hang in there at the end of one sermon preached and and hope that it hit the mark and never come back to it. Uh, My brain isn't that good. I don't know, maybe yours is, but okay, here. Let's get started. 
I won't waste any more time. So, real quickly, turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 1 and verse 18, and that's where we started, just a real brief recap, and we'll be in the same area as we go into the message for tonight. And as I mentioned last time, I, I pondered this so many times. And, and I, I really feel like, wow, that was it. That was it. So Judges chapter 1, as, as Israel is taking the promised land, and, and we read at the very beginning um, how Israel sought the Lord, always the right thing to do, seek the Lord. It's always the right thing to pray, right? It should just flow right off of our lips. It, it should be not even second nature. It should become our first nature. Let's pray. It ought to feel just right. And we ought to be perfectly comfortable doing it. And so they pray. They seek God's advice or God's will. And, and God says, well, what did God say? Judah shall go first, right? Judah starts to take territory. They're slaying. They're purging the land. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. And I was always wondering what went wrong, what, what happened when things slowed down on them. So we'll start with verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites, Judges chapter 1, who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. They, they were purging the land completely, kind of like God tries to do with our hearts. Get rid of all the old, everything messed up. Try to straighten everything that's crooked. Try to make everything whole that is in part. That's what God wants to do. Amen. And devoted to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. In verse 18, Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with his territory and Ekron with his territory. And in verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah. And at the beginning of Judges, God said, I will give you the victory. You will be victorious. So God has given them the promise of victory. God is, the Lord is with Judah. And he took possession of the hill country but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Okay, why? If God had given them the word, I will give you the victory. When God speaks it, it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Amen. And, and man, I'm still hung up on what Brother Luke shared with us too. It, the visual, the, the, the sound, he, he described it as the sound of, the noise of that wind, as he was describing in 101010 a few weeks back. And, and it hit me. It's when God speaks it, it's in motion. And it's going to stay in motion until it accomplishes what he purposed for it to accomplish. And, and it, some things, like I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh... It's not done yet. It's still moving. And if we think in the realm of faith, we realize it's all, oh, that sound of the mighty rushing wind. 
it's still in motion and it's just waiting for someone to reach up and grab it. We overthink it and overcomplicate it, but it is that simple. It's, mm, I love that. And so this is emotion. God said, I'm going to give you the victory. Why, if he's with them, does it suddenly stop? And then we get to the chariots of iron, which pushes us back to Joshua chapter 17. And like I mentioned, it's not back in time. It's kind of a parallel in time towards the end of Joshua, the beginning of Judges. And in Joshua chapter 17, we see something happen that's just incredible. We see the tribe of Joseph or Manasseh and Ephraim come to Joshua and tell him, the land or the allotment you've given us is not enough. Verse 14 is where we'll start. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And then the, the response of the people, the people of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron. Both those in Bethshem and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel and then Joshua's response, then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are a numerous people and have great power. Now, let me just pause here for a second. <laughs> Once again, when God speaks, and God is speaking right here, the man of God is speaking and it's a prophetic utterance. Now, oh, Please don't take me the wrong way here, because it has nothing to do with me. And, and it has nothing to do with the man, but it has everything to do with the position. And when the word of God is spoken, when it's preached, it is anointed. The word is anointed, and it is prophetic. It's the truth. If we will receive it as such... It is the word of God. It is in motion. Now, we have the choice or the decision. <laughs> Just crossed over in today's sermon. We have the decision, the choice, whether we want to grab a hold of it or not. Whether we want to receive it or not. We can deny it. We can join the collective league of naysayers and skeptics. And guess what? we'll get exactly what we're empowering. Skepticism. But there's something to it, and it's the word of God, and it's a prophetic word when the man of God is preaching the word of God. Amen. And so here, the man of God, Joshua, is speaking, and so it's the word of God. Joshua said to the house of 
Joseph and to Ephraim, you are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. And here you go. He doesn't stop there. He continues, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. I don't have time to go there, but I know the youth wasn't here because it was during Youth Congress. And that's not why I'm doing it. But here's the point. Judah could not take the valley with the chariots of iron because it was not their battle to fight. It had already been spoken by God. It had already been designated as Manasseh's and Ephraim's battle to fight. And so here's the point. There are some battles you are going to have to engage in and you're going to have to draw your sword and you're going to have to win the victory. God is already for you. He's already given the victory. It's already yours. But there's some things that some other people cannot fight for you. Part of the sermon was talking about David's mighty man. One of David's mighty men, the one that stood in a lintel field. All the others ran away from the Philistines. He stands there and fights his ground. And he alone, God gives him a victory, well, with God. And he defeats all the Philistines for some beans. Why? Because it was his bean field. No one else was going to stand in his bean field. He needed to stand in his bean field and defend what was his. There are things that are worth defending and fighting for. And there are some things that only you can fight for. Uh, I feel like going further, but it's a recap. <laughs> there was another part of it, the last part of it, and we're okay. If you go back, there was a reference, and I don't have the name... Maybe I do. There was a reference to a man of the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Manasseh, and it was referenced in Joshua 17. Because of him, this mighty man of valor, they were given their portion. The problem is, he's not alive. He would be over 400 years old at this time, so he's dead already. But he was a mighty man of valor, as the Bible describes him. And we can confirm this with other scripture, and I'll mention it before we get really into it. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was still in Egypt. If you think about it, Manasseh's son was not born a slave. Manasseh's son would have been born in privilege, right? When the Pharaoh rose that enslaved Israel, it was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Joseph's passed away. Joseph's gone with. Manasseh's children, Ephraim's children, are more than likely already born. Probably almost young men at this point in time. And so the only conclusion I can come up with is that as a mighty man of valor, they must have been trained. Perhaps they were trained in war. Perhaps they were of military upbringing, even in Egypt before they're in slavery. And I'm not preaching it as doctrine, but nothing really else really makes sense. And then we see, and I mentioned this, you see Gideon. When God called Gideon, what did God say to him? How did he address him? Gideon, Gideon who, by the way, is hiding out, trying to save just a little bit of portion of, of the wheat, 
hiding out from the Midianites. And what did God say to him? Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Why? Because it was in his genes. Because he was of the tribe of Manasseh. It was in his genes. And we ended the sermon by saying, ah, whose royal blood now flows through your veins and through my veins? It's his royal blood. We are joint heirs with Christ. We've already been set free, delivered. We already have the victory. His royal blood flows through our veins. It's in our genes. They were, Gideon was a mighty man of valor because of what his genes were. The DNA was there. The family character and the family traits. Now the flip note, some of the bad traits flowed through too. <laughs> and for us that would be because there's this new man and that old man. The new man, huh, the new man is holy because he is holy, right? But yet because it's still tied to this old man, and eh, not so holy. And so we've got, yeah, maybe two-sided genes. I'm thinking back to my history. I remember, anyways. Your battle, because of who you are, our, our dad, our God, our Lord, our King, our dad, our father, our heavenly father, he's a warrior. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's victorious. He doesn't lose battles. That's the DNA that runs through your blood and through my blood. And we need to go ahead and engage in some battles that only you will ever be able to fight and win. <laughs> Territories to be taken. Amen. So, with that, now we're going to go to the next part, and this hopefully is encouraging for all of us. Oh, that was good. i got to preach that again sometime. It just blows me away. So, for tonight, 1 Kings chapter 18. If you'll turn with me, 1 Kings chapter 18. Oh, God is so good. First Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And I'm just going to pause again. <laughs> and just for a second, Ahab, blaming the man of God for troubling Israel. This isn't the sermon. <laughs> Does anyone not understand? Is anyone in here? Do we need to go into this at all? The man of God is the man of God. Who sets the man of God? God sets him. No matter if you're the king, Ahab's wrong. Enough said. Is it you who troubles Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, 
and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. <laughs> I guess we see who's in charge here because the instruction. <laughs> you had an accusation, but the instruction was followed and it was the man of God's instruction. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? I'm not preaching out of the King James tonight, and it was pretty much just for this one verse. Because depending upon what rendering you're reading, it gives the example of being hobbled, handicapped, limping. All because they haven't made a choice. They've decided to not engage in a choice or not commit to a decision. Because they would not commit to a decision, it caused them to be lame. Oh, God. Oh. So we're going to talk about this topic. My decision does not need a miracle. Your decision does not need a miracle. We'll read on. How long? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Let me just kind of mess the sermon up. That's not the right answer. You realize what just happened. How long are you going to sit there on the fence in indecision? And their response was, well, a little while longer. Huh. It's not an option. It's not an option. They gave no answer. Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Let two bowls be given. Let's make two altars. And we know the story, and if you don't, I'll give a brief recap. Elijah lets the 450 prophets of Baal have their turn dance before their prophet or their God, try and call down fire to be consumed, gets to the point where they're even cutting themselves, and no response. No response at all. As a backdrop, let me just mention a little bit about Elijah here. It, it's... In, in, in some of the commentaries, it... it it describes Elijah as perhaps the greatest prophet in the Bible. 
And there are prophets that rival him, but Elijah was prophet and prophet alone or only. You know, Samuel, incredible prophet, but he wore more than one hat. He was also a judge, amongst other things. And so you have here, as a prophet, and only a prophet, perhaps one of the greatest prophets. He's in the backdrop of the time that he's ministering in. Is perhaps at the, you could make the argument that at the climax of, uh, of the debauchery of, of Israel, and you have a king and, and a queen, come on, we all know it, Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, when you hear about evil spirits or evil attitudes or whatnot, Jezebel's one of the biggest names or the most widely used names that we'll hear used. And so to describe attitudes and, and perhaps things of that nature. And so you have a king in Ahab who, who you know, the, the alignment is more so Jezebel and Ahab, and, and it messes everything up. And, and so everything going on in the kingdom, serving Baal, and it was as bad as it could get. And it's against this backdrop that Elijah's ministering, perhaps the greatest prophet in the word. It's when he steps up for his turn at the fire or at the altar and he speaks in verse 36 at the time of the offering of the oblation Elijah the prophet came near and said O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench, all 12 vials of water that were poured out, completely gone and consumed. And when all the people saw it, and when... All the people saw it. They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There's one problem. They don't follow through on it. And here's the word. The miracle will not be enough for you to live off of. And the miracle will not save you. We see this time and time again with Israel. How many times has God miraculously, undeniably parted the waters of the Red Sea, fed them manna from heaven? Time after time after time, God has intervened. How many times, how many days and years did they see a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day? And yet, the miracle was never enough to keep them. I've only got a simple word for you tonight. I'm all about the miracle. I want to see the miracle. But you know what? The power is in your decision. The power to keep you is not in the miracle. It's in the decision. I'll remind you, what was it 
that kept Joshua. He saw great things and mighty things. He saw the best and the worst of Israel. But it was his decision, and we see him follow through on it time after time after time. Where do you see Moses? You see him communion with God. What do we see as a pattern of, for a pattern in the life of, of Joshua? He would rise up early. Moses would, what's he doing? He's praying. Moses would be in the, the, the tent of meeting. Where's Joshua? As close as he could get to it. Huh. Because of a decision. You know, sometimes these things are so simple, so simple, and we overcomplicate them. For example, we moved. We moved from there to right here. It doesn't sound like a big move, but here's the problem. Here's why I did it. Because for a decade, I sat right there. And you know what I love about sitting in here is you're already here. And you know what's awesome about it? And I'm, not, I'm just sharing with you. Simple decisions make a big difference. Just making a decision, getting off the fence, huh, drawing that sword, engaging in the battle. We spoke of Jether last time. He sat there. Gideon's got the two kings of Midian. And he's saying, Jether, draw your sword and slay them. What's it saying? What's the purpose? What's the point in Scripture? God's saying, I've given you the victory. Go ahead and engage in the battle. Make a decision. But the Bible says he would not, for he was but a youth. And so he didn't draw the sword. He didn't engage in the battle. He didn't make the decision. And you know what? The same mighty man of valor that was in Gideon was in Jether. The same DNA was right there. Huh. And so many times God just trying to tell us, draw that sword. Tonight he's trying to say, make that decision. It's beautiful because you make a simple decision. I mean, we're, we're, talking, we're talking three feet, right? Not, not a big difference. But you know what, in that one decision, I, I never have to make a, deci a decision again whether I'm going to get to the altar. <laughs> that decision's never... Ever. Now, it's not even an option for that decision to be predicated, is that the right word, on who's speaking? It, whether the spirit moved in the right way? Whether the singers hit the right note? Whether God was you know, moving or not, or whether I felt him or not? Don't even have to worry about it. The decision's been made. You're already there. Uh, decisions. You know, the reason why the, the fire came down, it, it didn't, God, God knows the beginning from the end, right? The fire did not come down to save the Israelites. God knew they weren't going to serve many ways, right? But throughout the generations, it's in the word of God. The example is there. It can be preached on in it, on a Wednesday night in 2019. And you know what it does? Is it glorifies God. And God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And that's all right. Sometimes, doesn't, doesn't it just seem like sometimes God is just showing off? I mean, the magnificence of God. 
and the extravagance of what he does when he breaks forth in a mighty way. When that word does accomplish what it was set out and purpose to, to accomplish. So many times it's incredible and magnificent. It's almost like he's just showing off. But it's not that God's got, got a, a problem with his spirit. He's God. He's perfect in all of his ways. Ah. But it's for God's glory. It's always for God's glory. And yeah, he can accomplish a great many things in it, but for certainty, it's for the glory of God. Amen. And so here's the thing. The decision already being made. Worship. Not waiting for the miracle. My worship doesn't need a miracle. Your worship doesn't need a miracle. I'm not scolding you. It's going somewhere, and it's pretty cool. God's always worthy. God always hmm, deserves our worship. God always deserves us glorifying him. So thankful, Brother Gerbing, oh, for your sensitivity to the spirit, the songs he chose. I got a little nervous because I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of preaching about the fire and we don't need a miracle. Our choice doesn't need, our decision doesn't need a miracle, but it's all right because it goes on to sing about show us your glory. Because it's about his glory. God's got it. God's got this. <laughs> and so our decisions to worship, our decisions even just to be here on a Wednesday night or on a, on a Sunday morning, the choice is made. It's a done deal. And, and there's power in that choice. There's power in your decision. Now, let's turn to another scripture. My second to last scripture. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. This is approaching the death of Joshua. We'll start with verse 6. And when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua in all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. They, they served the Lord all the days of Joshua. We're going to back up. Back up a couple pages to Joshua chapter 24. And starting with verse 3. It lays the groundwork for it. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, that I would be God, right? I, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I, I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. 
And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Thank God. Is there anyone here that God has brought out? Thank, thank the Lord for bringing me out. God's going through and showing a history of the things he's done. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egypt, Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw it. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. And I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Oh. <laughs> Let me just, not my notes. It's all right. Let the collective league of naysayers and scoffers say what they want to say. God will vindicate this man was trying to curse Israel, tried hiring a mercenary prophet to curse Israel. But who wouldn't let him? God. God's large and in charge. It doesn't change. It's always right to do the right thing, and it's always right to be right with God. It ain't about being right. It's about being right with God. Amen. Hmm. Okay, continuing on. Every time I do that, I lose where I'm at. And like I said, it was not in my nose, so it's not highlighted, and i got to kind of start over. I apologize. Verse 11. And you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and Perizzites and Canaanites, Hittites and Girgashites and Hivites and Jebusites. I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, in cities that you had not built, and you dwelt in them, and you eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Well, if we could just receive this tonight, as a word of God for all of us, when we engage, when we make that decision, uh, that empowering decision, when we decide to actually engage, you realize God's fighting for you. I've, I've heard it said this way. It's probably better to work with God than for God. And think of it. Uh, you may not feel God. You may not see God. There's times even when it feels like the heavens are brass. But God's still there. There's times when we don't know, we can't feel. We don't know where God's at. Oh, sure, we know he's omnipresent. But where are you, God? 
He's still there. He knows. And whether you see him or feel him or not, it makes no difference. He's on your side. He's for you. And if we will fight with God, if we will work with God, and I'm not saying fight, you know, I'm going to fight with my wife. You know what I mean. I'm just thinking I hope that didn't sound wrong. When it's with God, God's by our side, whether we know it or not, just engaging in the process, making that decision is so powerful. Stick, just moving that three feet. You're moving forward. It's powerful. Now everyone's going to be getting here early and taking my seat. But that's all right. Because I've already made the decision. I'm not going anywhere. This is my life. I've given it to God. Why? Because I'll see miracles. You'll see miracles. But the miracles we can see throughout Scripture, the fire of the miracle never kept Israel. But the decision that we're reading about right now kept them for their entire generation. Now, therefore, the fear of the Lord, in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And then we get, we'll just jump ahead. 15, verse 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No indecision. Just a decision made. And a decision followed through. Oh, if we could just get this tonight. It might just be time to get off the fence, make a decision. Take a step forward. It may be a time to, you know what, just make a decision to move forward. God's calling for decisions. And the decision is powerful. Because it's God calling and drawing. Amen. It's God who's gone before. And so then jump into, back to Judges. Chapter 2 and verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 10. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And I'm absolutely comfortable making the point that it wasn't what they saw that kept them. It was the decision that they made. And, and the, the next generation, they didn't know of the things, but here it is. It's for the glory of God. And when we make that decision, so much of that decision is actually giving glory to God. Hmm. I'll go back to the, this illustration because already in the place. Don't matter who's speaking. Doesn't matter uh, how the service went. I'm in the place. I'm in the position. I'm going to glorify God. I'm giving God glory. And if you think about it, if it's the glory, if God is about getting the glory when the fire comes down, doesn't it just make sense that the best position we could put ourselves would be to be in a position of giving Him glory? That. That was it. I'll say it again. Think about it. The visual. When the fire comes down, it's for God's glory. And I don't need the miracle. 
I've already made the decision. You don't need the miracle. Seeing the glory, it won't keep you. The decision will. And in the decision, giving God glory positions you to see the fire. And I'm not talking about Holy Ghost fire. I'm just talking about the miracle. Your decision and my decision, it doesn't need a miracle. But perhaps, perhaps the decision uh, might just bring some miracles along the way. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.